Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We know your life will be changed for the better by listening to God's word. If you'd like to know more about Trinity Beaumont or contribute to our ministry, please visit www.trinitybeaumont.com. Uh, but without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to our founding pastor. Will you all stand on your feet and make some noise, and let's give honor to whom honor is due. <clears throat> Y'all just embarrassing me, you know that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I, um, of course, I've been here for now 40 years. It'll be in uh, August <clears throat> since 81. And this is 2021, right? Hard to keep them straight these days. Uh, and I discovered something the other day. Of course, I've, we've pastored black people from the very beginning. Many times we've had more black people in church than we've had white people in church. But it's finally, and, and, and all this time, everybody said, this is a white church. I discovered the other day that we've got the biggest black church in town. Yeah, well, all you got to do is look at the building. I mean, you see what? Yeah, thank you. Come on, keep up here. Keep up. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful for your word, Lord. Your word is our life. You said in Deuteronomy thirty-two forty-seven, Lord, that it's not a futile thing, but it's our life. And by it, we will obtain the promises, Lord. I thank you, Father God, that your word is filled with promises. Your world is filled with purpose and power. And I thank you, Father God, that you'll work through me today to help reveal a little bit of this for we can walk away from this, this place a little bit different, a little bit more knowledge, a little bit changed in our heart, a little bit different attitude. Father, I can't do this alone. Jesus himself said, of my own self, I can do nothing. So I bring these notes to you. I submit them to you. You use them as you see fit or not use them at all, sir. It's up to you. I trust in you. You've always taken care to speak to your people. And I thank you that it'll be no different today. And I thank you now in the name of our Lord Jesus. Everybody said amen. amen. Praise the Lord. All right. We're going we're gonna to begin to read. I'm going to read some scripture here uh, about my favorite topic. Jesus, the living word. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to begin. We'll use mostly New Living Translation today, uh, Colin, um, mostly. Uh, a little bit of Amplified and maybe even touch on the passion. Can you believe that? The more I read it, the more I like it. Seriously. Um, Matthew chapter 14, beginning the 22nd verse. My, my daughter, Caitlin, asked me, what are you preaching this week? I said, 12 men in a boat. <laughs> oh, it's true. Um, I didn't, she didn't get much out of that. But Anyway, beginning in the 22nd verse, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat. Now, he's just finished feeding the 5,000. So let me set the context for you here. He's just finished feeding 5,000 people with loaves and fishes, just a few. 
He insisted on that they get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was alone there. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble away from the land for the strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy seas. Usually they would sail their ship, their boat across the lake. But today the winds were contrary. The winds were blowing the wrong way to get where they wanted to go. Have you ever experienced anything like that in your life? Seems like the winds are all against you. Well, I want you to understand that he knows where you are. And we're going to see that in just a moment. The, the New Living Translation from Mark chapter 6, and I think this is significant, is later that night the disciples were in the boat in the midst of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. In verse 48, and if you're reading, if you've got your Bible open, you might highlight this or make note. I think it is uh, wonderful. Verse 48, he saw that they were in serious trouble. Roaring, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. Now think about this with me for just a moment because this is, in the, this is nighttime. They're out there. It's stormy. The, the, when, if you've ever been on stormy water, you know that you just can't look across and see everything that's there. The, the lake is four or five miles across. Uh, I've had the privilege to travel on that four times now in my life, going from one side to the other. <clears throat> and... Uh, and it's not a short distance. It's a, it's a pretty good-sized lake. But Jesus was alone on the mountain, and he saw them in the middle of the night struggling with the ship or the boat. I want you to understand the first thing I want you to know today is he sees you. No matter what's going on, he sees you. You may feel like he doesn't see you. You may think he doesn't see you. You may not feel his hand. The disciples had no idea as they were struggling with this boat. And these were experienced seamen now. Or lakemen, I don't know. Anyway. They were struggling with the boat. It wasn't not handling. They were rowing and rowing and rowing. And it wasn't going anywhere. They had no idea that Jesus could see them. They're probably wondering, where is he? But you've got to understand that these 12 were just ordinary men. We sometimes elevate them to platforms that they don't deserve. I want you to put yourself in their place. You're in the boat. You're a fisherman. You know the water. You know the boat. And you can't get anywhere. You're stuck. You're, you're, You're struggling. You're pulling as hard as you can and not going anywhere, and the winds continue to blow. Where is Jesus? He saw them. There's something I want us to learn here, because that is that he sees you no matter what's going on, and you have to trust that. You don't trust your feelings. Your feelings lie. They're fickle. Your emotions, they're not true. They're flesh. They're a part of the old soul man. And you've got to be careful because you may feel alone. But if you're a believer, you are not alone. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're never alone. He sees you. So important that you understand that. He sees you even when the winds are contrary, even when it feels like there's nobody else looking. He sees you. 
Now the 25th verse begins this way. About the fourth watch, and the fourth watch, for those of you who don't know, Greg could probably tell us, but, but the fourth watch here is 3 to 4 a.m., biblically speaking. That's the wee hours of the morning. The sun is getting ready to come up. About the fourth watch, 3 o'clock in the morning, another translation says 4 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water, and when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! (laughs) A ghost. I wonder how many ghosts they'd seen. Uh, Anyway, uh, verse 27, And Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. I like the Amplified, because in the Amplified, Jesus said to them, Take heart. I am And he told them who he was again. And then the the Passion Translation says, It's really me. I am. Think about it. He was always trying to get them to understand who he was. And they simply didn't. They were 12 men, hardened laborers in a boat. Of course, Matthew was trying to figure out what to do. He's a tax collector. He doesn't know what he's doing out there. And so they really had 11 because Matthew's just praying. Oh, he's over in the corner praying. (laughs) Verse 28, then Peter called to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, said Jesus. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Verse 30, and when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Have you you ever walked on the water? Can you imagine beginning to sink? I mean, I thought you either sank or you didn't. But he was beginning to sink. Save me, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Have you so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I'm going to read to you here from the message just in that same portion because I think it's kind of significant understanding the scenario here, the scene that we're looking at. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. (laughs) Can you even imagine that? But Peter was pretty impetuous. He probably hit the water and said, what am I doing here? But when he looked down and saw the waves churning beneath his feet, he lost his nerve, started to sink. He cried, Master, save me. And Jesus didn't hesitate. The message says he reached down and grabbed his hand, and then he said, faint heart. (laughs) I like that. Faint heart, what got into you? The message is a translation. It's not just a paraphrase. A translation, the difference between a paraphrase and a, a translation is a paraphrase is basically what the interpreter sees in the scripture. A translation goes back to the original languages and brings as much clarity from the original languages that is possible. Well, the message is a translation, although it's very modern translation. It's uh, so. And passion translation is not a paraphrase. It's a translation. And I've, I've really appreciated uh, some of the things that I've learned from passion translation. Uh, I was not really pro-modern uh, translation when it came out. But the more I read it, the more I enjoy it. And, and if you read the commentary, and I'll tell you this, don't read the passion translation just for the feel-good on it because it's got a lot of feel-good in it. But it, it has little boxes that you can click on. And it opens up a footnote, and the, the, the author of the translation 
gives some of the background of where he got his information and why he translated it the way he did. And it's very, very informative and intriguing. Uh, at least I find it so. Faint heart. You, you ever hear him call that before? They were totally amazed. You drop down to the 52nd verse and they said, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So the first thing you're going to learn today is he sees you no matter what. No matter what kind of wind, no matter what your circumstances. You ever had tough circumstances? Anybody in here not have tough circumstances in your life? I've, I've, uh, if you haven't, then count your blessings. Count your blessings. Uh, I have, uh, like I said, I've pastored here 40 years, and that's not been without trouble. If you've never pastored, you don't understand what a pastor has to endure. And for 40 years, and I've had people come and go. I've had people try to split the church. I've had people actually in 85 split the church. Went from 500 to about 250 overnight. And it was of no fault of our own. I, I could tell you the story, but, uh, and if you want to know the story, just, just talk to me later because I'll be happy to share it with you. But it was through no fault of the church. It was an enemy's attack on the church because we've always been a church that loves the word. Uh, I'm just a word guy. Uh, Mr. Holy Spirit is over here to my right. <laughs> but I, I'm, I am the word guy. And that's just been my passion from the very beginning. So he said they still didn't understand the significance. What, what we learn here secondly is it does not matter. He sees you. And he will come. Amen. Do you understand the scenario here? He saw them in the night, but he waited until three or four o'clock in the morning. And this whole time, these guys are struggling, trying to handle this boat and get to the other side. And they're making no progress. They're standing still. But of course, if you've ever been on rough water, and that's always an interesting situation. If you've ever been out on rough seas, the boat doesn't stand still. I learned, I learned the first time I was on rough water that the boat goes this way, and it goes this way, and it goes this way, all at the same time. And you have, it, it, it totally disorients you because it's going six different directions on the compass almost simultaneously. And the same time, it's going up and down. I remember we were in probably eight to ten foot seas. If you've ever been in that, then you understand. You're sudden. You're in a trough, looking up at the top of the waves, and then suddenly you're at the top of the wave, looking down into the trough, and then it reverses itself again. You can't see land. It's dark. The winds are contrary. Uh, I was glad that we were not depending on the sail. We were depending on that little diesel engine. But it was it was plugging along and pushing us through. But you couldn't tell that where you were going or whether you, whether you were going or not. And it was a, it was a little bit unnerving. I, I'd never experienced that before. But then I did learn one thing: you trust your boat because the boat was built for that. And I I, uh, I preached a sermon once. Uh, I, I showed Becky the little card I used to publicize it. And, and it says, a ship in the harbor is safe 
But that's not what ships are built for. And it shows a, a, a boat, a ship, way out on the horizon in the sunset. It was, really a, it was really a good example because, honestly, I want you to understand that. You may be safe in the harbor, but that's not what you're built for. I want you to understand something. You are represented by these 12 in the boat. You're not here. Uh, this, this is a strange little church, I have to admit. You know, I mean, we, we, we've got so many good things going for us. We have so many precious people. And yet, we do things differently than a lot of churches. And you're going to find that, that we do things differently. Uh, uh, and it's in, we're here, like Andrew was saying, right here on the interstate, and we're invisible. People pass by our church all the time and never know it's here. The sign's out there. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't even know this was a church. Did you read the sign? Uh, I didn't even see the sign. Oh, the one that said Covenant Bible College. Oh, that's the same one? Yes, that's the one. Uh, it's just very, very strange. We've been attacked. This church has been flooded twice. Uh, Harvey and Imelda. Uh, and isn't it interesting? I, I want you to make note. Not, this is a little side trip that I won't take any length of time on. But, but think about it. What other part of the nation is it has endured the catastrophic things that our community has? And, and two within three years. Catastrophic, biblical, epic. Those are the, the, the adjectives that I've heard describing these storms that have come here. Uh, my house was destroyed in 17, right after my wife, Marilyn, who's founded the church with me, was diagnosed with, with brain cancer. She died in 2018. Uh, I didn't get my house finished till uh, a, a year later. I had to redo it all. Um, and, and then I didn't want it anymore. I sold it. Uh, and, but so, so I understand something about trouble. I had to take her to California to try and, try and get her healed up from that, uh, which did not work. So I'd lost everything. Uh, so you may think, well, you know, you, you might want to compare troubles with me. And, and people love to do that. You ever sit in the waiting room in a doctor's office? <laughs> I, I got a real, a real case of that when I was taking Marilyn for treatment. I'd have to sit out in the lobby while she was being treated. And I'd listen to people well, my tumor was, was bigger than that. I mean, I had the biggest tumor you've ever seen. And, and they, they, they treat it like it's a, a, some kind of accomplishment. And so I just sat over in the corner. I thought, oh, I can't take this. Don't brag about the curse. Brag about the healer. Oh, it's, it's, hold him up. Hold him up. So he sees you no matter what. And he's going to come to you, but not until he's ready. We want him to come right now. Right now. I'm, now's when I'm having trouble. I need you now. He sees you. And he's going to come when he's ready. It may be 
just before the light. Just when it's the darkest part of the night. Now, naturally the question is going to arise, why would he do it that way? I don't understand. Why would, why would, he, why would he wait when he sees how we're struggling? How he sees how we're fighting against this. It, you know, we don't even know if we're going to make it back at this rate. How, what's going on? I don't understand this. How many of you have ever said, Lord, I don't understand? Has anybody not said that? Because we are finite creatures serving an infinite God. And his ways are higher than our ways. His way is the highway. But his ways are higher. He does things differently. I, I, if you don't learn anything else today, learn this, that everything he has done and he is doing has purpose. Say that word with me, purpose. We're not haphazard. We're not accidental. You may think I'm just an average Christian. There's no such thing. Were you created by God? Were you created in his image and likeness? Do you know that he didn't just do it because he just liked to have kids? He wants a family. He wanted a family. That's why he created man. But he created man for a purpose, a divine, heavenly purpose. And you're created, not accidentally, not just to serve a career or, or fill out time and, you know, uh, eat and drink and sleep and, and uh, fish and then die. We have purpose. He is very purposeful. We are not accidents. We're not afterthoughts. You have a purpose. You may not have discovered that. You may not have even realized that. But you have purpose because he doesn't do anything without purpose. He is very very purposeful. And when you understand that about who he is, then you'll begin to understand that, that some of the things we've heard, you know, uh, we've been told that we were going to just, just be a heavenly choir forever and ever and ever in heaven, worshiping him the rest of our forever. Oh, he has angels for that purpose. He has angels for that purpose. Why would he create us? How many of you have had children? How many of you had children and their purpose was to worship you? Yeah? Well, I, I mean, how, you, you laugh. But how come we accuse God of something that we think is foolish? Do you, you follow what I'm saying? It's so important that you think about this. It's so important because you got to know. you gotta, you got to quit relying on feelings and what somebody's opinion was. That's what I love about the Word of God is if you base it upon the Word of God, it's not an opinion, it's a fact. And this thing called the Word of God is truth. It does, doesn't contain truth. Jesus said, and he is the living Word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through the truth the true way. And he talked about it over and over and over. I'm the door. I'm the shepherd. I, 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 I am the great I am. Do you realize that Jesus was in the beginning with God? 
He was called the Word of God before he became Jesus. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but, but you need to read John chapter 1 and the first 18 verses. The Word of God became flesh, verse 14 says, and he, he became flesh. He became a man. That was the Word of God. His name was the Word of God before he became a man. Afterwards, he became Jesus, who is the living Word. And if you go back to Revelation chapter 19, you see both pictures on that horse coming back to set things right. It's written on his thigh, the Word of God. He is the captain of the Lord's army. He is the captain of the army of the hosts of angels. He is the leader he does everything on the Father's behalf. And he said, my will is to do the will of the Father. My meat is to do the will of the Father. We ought to learn something about that because he is our role model. So our will should be to do the will, the will of the Father. We don't live to please Jesus. We live because of Jesus. And we live like Jesus lived to do the Father's will. And the Father's will we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. So we're going to go there in just a minute. But let's continue here because he talked about this level, level leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And he said, and he said, he said this, and it, it is, it's quite astounding. Well, I, I didn't finish reading here. Uh, let me back up and finish our, our scriptures here in verse 32. When he climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him and said, you really are the son of God. Well, apparently they didn't believe that before. Or they had questions, and, and you'll see that in a minute. After, verse 34, after they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area. And soon people were bringing the, all the sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. You thought it was the woman with the issue of blood was the only one that touched the hem of his garment. No, he said everybody was trying to touch it. And it's an interesting thing. If you go to Israel today, you'll see that the men wear garments. Their, their shirts and, and their garments have fringe because it's a Hebrew thing. It was in the law that they are to put fringes and tassels on their garment, a prayer shawl, a, a, a talit is called. And you've seen the pictures of them. They're blue and white, and they've got the fringe, and then on the corners they have tassels hanging down. The, the, this is, is called, the, the fringe is called kanaf. And the tassels are, um, uh, what, what's the word? Um, um, okay. The, the, the ta oh, it's, this, that's it. How, you, how can you forget a word like this? Are you ready for this? It's spelled T-Z-I-T-T-Z-I-T. You try it. <laughs> Sounds like acne. <laughs> zit zit. Kanaf and zit zit. If it's translated into Greek, it becomes kraspedon. And it means the fringes of his garment. And that when, when you read Malachi chapter 4, I believe it's the third verse, it says, And the Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. Well, that's the English, but the Hebrew says the son of righteousness has risen with healing in his kanaf. Yeah. Yes. And so the, even the, and that's the reason that they wear the tassels and the, and the fringe today is because 
even that was infused with his healing power. Yes. Now, when we talk about Jesus, we, we speak of him, and, and certainly we speak of him with great reverence and awe. But I want you to understand something. His, he, was, he didn't leave his disciples out on the lake fighting the wind and the waves for no purpose. He had a purpose in leaving them out there. He didn't just want to watch them suffer. He didn't want to say, well, let's see if they can do this on their own. He's trying to instruct. He's trying to teach them something, and they haven't got it yet because their hearts were hardened, the Bible says. When you read about a hardened heart, it has to do with rebelliousness and stubbornness. I'm not going to ask if there are any in here. But this is what the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod had to do with because it, it had to do with not uh, of believing all kinds of things, not just the truth. And they were, they, these, are, these men in this boat had all kinds, they have all kinds of backgrounds. They suddenly didn't become Christians when he called them to follow him. They didn't actually become Christians <clears throat> excuse me, or little Christ until John chapter 20, verse 22, when the Holy Spirit came to dwell within them. That changed their life. That, 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 that restores them back to where Adam was before he fell. And that's the picture that Jesus gives us. He's called the last Adam. He is Adam. He is, he is the same as Adam was before the fall. And he went, to the, he went out into that wilderness to undo what Adam had done. And he had to do it on the same terms that Adam had, had, had when he dealt with the enemy, with, this, with Satan. So they, he keeps wondering. He keeps asking them. He asked Peter, why? Hey, heart, you know, faint heart, what's wrong with you? He didn't understand why that they couldn't understand. When he came walking across the waters, he said that they thought I was a ghost. They knew me. They thought I was a ghost. They had never seen anybody walk on the water. But he said they, they didn't understand. Their hearts were hard. And you, you wonder, what in the world are they talking about? These, these are his disciples for crying out loud. Why would they have hard hearts? Because they're fishermen. And they had less than three total years with him. How long have you been in the word, in the way? They didn't have the understanding that you have. They were following this guy around and he was doing things that they'd only heard about and, and, and really were still wondering about because they were doubting. They were doubting. And that's the re he said their hearts are hard. That's the reason they can't believe. I want us to understand something that he was trying to get them to understand. Now, now again, let me, let me see who's paying attention. All of this walking on the water and, and what happened right after what, did I say? What's the context? The feeding of the 5,000? All right, now listen to the Word of God. Mark chapter 8, verse 13. He left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. This is a different occasion. And they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Uh, how far does 
one loaf go with 12 hungry men. Then he charged them saying, oh no, uh, hold on. Now the disciples had forgotten them and they didn't have, then he charged them saying, take heed, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, says, is, what, is it because we don't have any bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for, for the 5,000, how many baskets of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? He said, seven. They said, seven. He said to them, how is it that you don't understand? How is it? He was amazed. He's trying to get them to understand something here. Now, go back to the loaves and the fishes. What did he do? Uh, they brought him the loaves and the fishes and he had all these hungry people and, and two, two fish and, and five loaves. And what did he do? He lifted them to heaven, he gave thanks, and then he broke it and gave it to the disciples. Then what happened? What happened when the disciples gave somebody bread or fish? They still had more. It multiplied. It multiplied until they were out of multiplying, until they were... There were no more hungry people to feed. And then they took up 12 baskets full of fragments or leftovers. Wow. Think about this. And yet they didn't understand what had just happened. God, the Lord God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, had used them and those loaves and fishes multiplied in their hands because they didn't run back to Jesus and get refilled and then run back out there. As they went, they'd give it away and there was still more to give. They'd give it away and there's still more to give. They'd give it away and there's still more to give until there were no more hungry people. So what we have to understand is that he's trying to get them to understand that there is something going on here greater than just food. Most churches still built around eating, but um, now we understand why. You know, you go to potluck, you don't have to bring much. You just get a lot more than you came for. So, so we begin to understand this. How is it you don't understand? I want you to hear the emotion in him. I, he didn't say, how is it you don't understand? He said, how is it you don't understand? He's trying to get them to see something, not from the natural, but from the supernatural. He's trying to get them to realize that the supernatural was working through them when they fed the loaves and fishes to the 5,000. Well, that was 5,000 men. Some scholars say there was maybe 10 to 15,000 people, counting women and children. So I, I really don't know. I don't even have an opinion about it. Uh, from the, trans, the Passion Translation, after everyone had their meal, Jesus instructed his disciples to get back into the boat and go on ahead of him and sail to the other side to Bethsaida. And so he dispersed the crowd and said goodbye to his disciples and slipped away to pray on the mountain. As night fell, the boat was in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land. The wind was against the disciples and he could see that they were straining at the oars, trying to make headway. When it was almost morning, Jesus came to them, finally, walking on the surface of the water and he started to pass by them.
And when they all saw him walking on the waves, they thought it was a ghost, and they screamed out into terror. A bunch of girly men out there, fishermen fighting the boat. They could handle water, they could handle wind, they could handle, but they'd never seen anybody walking on the water, and they screamed out in terror, the Passion says. But he said to them at once, don't yield to fear, have courage. We read it and we, he says, don't be afraid. No, that's not what he said. He said, control your fear. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be brave. It's really me. I am. And then he came closer and climbed into the boat with him. And immediately the stormy wind became still. And they were completely and utterly overwhelmed with astonishment. Their doubting hearts had not grasped his authority and power over all the, these, all the things, in spite of just having witnessed the miraculous feeding. You getting a picture? In spite of all the things that they've seen him done, or seen him do, they still didn't believe it. They still didn't believe this. They, they, they thought there must be some trick. They're, I don't know what he's doing, but, uh, but this is... We, we, we still have a hard time believing this. And, and, and on top of that, he wants us, to, wants us to believe that about us as well. You see, he is trying to get them to understand his authority and his power. Authority is something that we have to understand. When we, when we begin talking about authority, it really began in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. When the Lord said, and he made, made them male and female, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, and take dominion. Now, we've heard and we've studied about the authority that Jesus has given us in Matthew 28, when he said, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. Listen to me very carefully. The authority began in Genesis 1.28 because you don't tell somebody to go subdue the earth and take dominion if it doesn't have the authority behind it. So they had dominion authority in Genesis 1.28 and they gave it away. They gave it away. And it was a serious thing. They gave away all the authority that he had just delegated to them. And we know that Satan has tried to use men to take authority on his own behalf since then. And I mean, some of the most recent cases are Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin, Idi Amin, these people that want the world dominion because that's the authority that they've been given except they don't know how to exercise it. They don't have the, all right. So we have to understand and, and see the miracles were to teach them that God has the power to deliver us regardless of the need, no matter about, of limitations. 5,000 people, five, five loaves and two fishes. Do the math. The bread multiplied in their hands. So, if they'd been thinking, they would have had the power to rebuke the storm as well. But they didn't understand that they had that power, that, that they had carried that power in their hands. 
in those crowds. You ever walk among 5,000 people? Can you imagine 12 guys trying to feed 5,000 people? Some of you trying to figure out how to feed your family. And they were feeding 5,000 at least. At least. And they had been out there all day. They were hungry. And they all ate their fill. And there was still more. They didn't understand the authority that they were walking with and who was there to, to teach them and train them into the authority that they had. You know, you've got you've to begin to get some of this because he saw them. He came to them when it was time, when he knew it was ready because he was trying to get them to understand that they were not helpless out there without him. Did you notice in one of the translations it says he went walking to them and he would have passed them if they hadn't, if they hadn't yelled out? Does that seem strange? He wanted them to know that they had this same authority that he had. Not just that he was the king and he was the master and he, was, he came from God, but he came to restore us. Listen to me. He didn't came, come to keep you out of hell. He came to restore you to the place where Adam was before he fell because that's who he was, the last Adam. And he is our example. He is, and we are predestined to be conformed into his image. That's what the scripture tells us over and over and over. You can read it in Romans. You can read it in Corinthians. You can read it in Ephesians, Colossians. We are to be conformed to the image of Jesus, the Son of God, who did all these things. And so Jesus went out into the wilderness after he had been baptized in, in the Jordan River by John in Luke chapter 4. And he went out into the wilderness to, to defeat the enemy. He didn't go out there to lose, but he had to prove that he could defeat the enemy as a man, not as God, but as a man. He refused to do it as God. Satan said to him, if you're hungry. You've been fasting. You turn these rocks into bread. He said, I'm not going to tempt my father. I don't tempt the Lord my God. I'm going to do this as a man. I'm not going to use the, the power that I laid aside. I'm going, to be a, I'm going to do this as a man. Now, I'm talking about mankind, ladies. I'm including you in this because he, he made no difference. He, he, did not, he didn't prefer men over women or women over men. We are all the same. We are spirits. That's what he sees. He said, image and likeness, men and women of God, spirits. When you leave this body, I don't know what we're going to be. I really don't. When we, when we finally get to heaven before we come back, by the way, you're not going to spend forever in heaven. I don't want to destroy anybody's theology, but if you think you're going to spend forever in heaven, your theology is wrong. It's not biblical. That's not what the scripture says. It says that the, at the end of this age, the Lord Jesus himself, when he returns again to the earth. See, we think he's going to return to the earth when he comes to, for the church. Well, he doesn't even touch the ground. We meet him in the air. So that's not the second return. That's, that's the day of Christ when he comes back for his church. So when he comes back and touches the earth, he's coming back to rule it as king. Yes. And those who overcome, the scripture tell us in Revelation 2 and 3, will rule and reign with him for 1,000 years on the earth. Not in heaven, folks. 
If you're in heaven, you're not where you're supposed to be. Are you following me? See, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but Jesus said there's no marriage in heaven, so what do we need men and women for? You know, Adam was man and woman. I'm I'm getting way off, and this is speculation. I I don't understand Uh, We don't have enough information in Scripture to understand this all very clearly, except that we are not going to be, we're going to be as He is and not as we are. That, That means there's going to be change here. That means there's going to be change. But we have to understand while we are here that we are to be like Him, that we are to walk in that authority. And when He leaves you out in the water struggling against the wind, for days, for what seems like days, uh, and, and, it, and I mean, my gosh, you've done this all night long after feeding the crowds. These guys haven't had any, they didn't even get a nap. I don't even know if they ate lunch besides the fish and the loaves. They're out there, they're fishermen. They're struggling against this. They're fighting it all night long. And he finally shows up. Why? Because he is trying to train them in the authority that he has, and he is giving it to them. And that's what he's doing in you, because you, I said, have a purpose, a heavenly, holy purpose. He's not, you're not just going through life and then one day going to go to heaven and live forever and float around on clouds and strum harps and sing praises. That's not even scriptural. That's not scriptural. The Bible says we're going to come back and rule and reign with him. We're going to come back as an army if you qualify for that. I don't have time to prove it. I'll be happy to sit down with any one of you anytime, and we'll talk about it. I can show you in Scripture. I've studied this. I've spent my life studying this. This is not something that's new. I've spent my life studying this. And you have to understand, he wants you, he's trying to train you, he's trying to get you to come out from where you are and become who you are called, created to be, to fulfill your purpose in life. To fill your purpose. Not everybody's purpose is to be a teacher or to be an evangelist. But you have purpose. I can touch so many people. Jason can touch so many people. Becky can touch only so many people. Andrew can touch only so many people. But you can touch multitudes. If you understand who you are and the authority that he's put in you. Because he defeated Satan. Let me back up here. Satan told Jesus. He showed him in an instant. All the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, All this authority, all this power, all this glory I'm going to give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Paul taught in Romans chapter 6, whoever you serve, you are their slave. Jesus would have become his puppet. He would have become his master had had he obeyed like, like Adam the words of the serpent rather than the words of God. You have to stick with the word. You can't go with your head. You you can't go with your heart. You have to trust the word of God because you're going to run into things in the world that are not going to be according to your thinking or what you can understand. And they didn't understand. These are seasoned seamen. They're seasoned fishermen. They didn't understand why they couldn't make any progress. But he didn't want to let them go until they began to understand the power that was theirs.
And even then they had such a hard time. They, 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 listen, these, these guys were not super, uh, they weren't super uh, intelligent or even super spiritual. They were fishermen for crying out loud. And they didn't understand. And he trained them for three years and he sent them out. And by the time he sent them out, they understood the authority. That's why Matthew said, uh, what Jesus said is recorded in Matthew. All authority has been given to me. How did he get that authority? Satan told him, all this authority is mine. I better read it to you so you don't believe me. Luke 4, beginning in the fifth verse. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All authority, all this authority, I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. Adam delivered it to him. And I give it to whomever I wish. Think about that. All that authority of all the kingdoms on all the earth, he's still ruling most of them. He's not ruling your kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord that lives in you. Therefore, if you'll worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan. He didn't just say, get behind me, Satan. It was a command. It was a command. Get behind me, Satan. I can hear him spitting it out. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I am a slave of the Most High God. I will not be your slave. And when you follow after his words instead of the words of the, of the Master, instead of the words written in the Scriptures, whose slave have you become? So it's time for an emancipation proclamation. You've been called for a holy purpose. You're not here by accident. You didn't become a Christian by accident. Jesus said in John's gospel, no man comes to the Father except, uh, comes to me except the Father call him. If you're here, it's because the Father called you to come and serve him, to come and learn from him for a purpose, a high and a holy purpose. That's so why in Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. All authority. Satan doesn't have all authority. He still has the same authority because, those, because of the servants that follow him. But Jesus said, all this authority has been given to me. I am, I am not, he's not coming as the son of God. He's coming as a man who won that authority back. And when you stand upon the written word of God, you can win that authority back. You've been given that authority through the new birth. You have to understand that. You're not a beginner. Even It doesn't matter how much you know or don't know. Well, it does matter. I, that's not right. It matters how much you don't, because if you don't know that you're created for a high and holy purpose, and that is to help him spread the news of the kingdom, not of, not of America, not of democracy, of the kingdom. The kingdom is going to last a thousand years and then eternity. A thousand years. Some of you are hoping to live 80. <laughs> Nanette's about to make it. She's not even hoping anymore. She's got it made. 80 years old, but 
How's that compared to a thousand years? Can you imagine, Miss Robin, can you imagine living for a thousand years? Hard to, it's impossible to imagine it, but you have to believe it because this, this is the issue. It doesn't matter. You, you quit trying to reason things. Quit trying to figure it out. Believe the Bible. Quit trying to interpret it. It's simple. It's so very simple. Read it like it's written. If he said, these signs shall follow you, them that believe, these signs shall follow them that believe. He said it. Jesus cannot lie. He is the truth. His words must come to pass. But unless you believe it, unless you, if, don't be hard-hearted, stubborn and rebellious. You know, you wouldn't have thought that the disciples would be called hard-hearted. But if those disciples who walked with him and saw the miracles and were a part of the miracles were stubborn and rebellious, how much more so could we possibly be? Think about it. Why are we not doing more? Because we really don't believe. Why are we not walking in more health? Because we still don't believe. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We, we give lip service to the scriptures very often, but we got, if you believe it, it's going to change your behavior. It will change how you think. It will change how you act. It's going to change everything about you. You've got to believe the scriptures and act on them. You follow me? So three things. He saw them where they were. He came to them. But it was a while. It wasn't when they wanted. And the whole purpose of all of this and the whole purpose of everything that we're talking about today is so you can learn who you are. A child of God, not just a child of God. You become a man or a woman of God. Quit just being a child. What, you know, I know it's not politically correct, but if, if a child doesn't grow into adulthood, at least back in my day, you call him retarded. How many retarded Christians are there out here who are still children? They never, ever got, became any, put on any kind of maturity. And I'm telling you, he is, the longer that you wait on that, the longer you're going to struggle against the contrary winds. So it's time. He's coming to you. He's going to, he's teaching you. He has a purpose in everything that's going on. All those troubles you've had, there's a purpose. I'm a believer. There's a purpose. He's not doing this to watch you suffer. He's doing it for you to, to, to stand up on your hind legs and, and act on the Word of God. To listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying and to do the works of the Lord Jesus. He's waiting on you. You're not waiting on Him. You're struggling against the wind. Understand there's a purpose in it. He wants you to learn and He will come to you. He will come to you. He is faithful. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, thank you so very, very much for your living word who teaches us who we are and what we're to be doing. I want to thank you, Lord, 
for your word that, that, that gives us hope, it gives us purpose, it gives us direction. Lord, it encourages us, it upholds us, it builds us up. We become stronger and stronger the more we walk and understand and live by your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who is the teacher. He is the one who trains us in the word when we give him the opportunity and when we obey what the word says. We walk, we learn to walk like a child, but help us not remain children any longer, Father. Help us grow up and put on that maturity, that description that John gave us, strong. The word of God abides in them and they overcome the wicked one. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for this. Now let me ask you, is there anybody here with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Is there anybody here that's never made Jesus Lord, your, your Savior and your Lord? I don't want you to be, I don't want him just to be your Savior, folks. I want him to become your Lord as well because that's where everything happens. If you're here today and you see, I need Jesus as, a, as my Savior, I'm lost. Would you hold your hand up, show me? Anybody? Saw one hand. Is anybody here that says that he's my Savior, but I need to make him Lord of my life? Can I see your hand? Does he run your life? Does he rule your life? Does he own your life? That's the key. That's the question. That's the question. Is he Lord of your life? Well, I know that he's not everybody's Lord, so you need to, you need to think about this. But I want you to understand as soon as you make him Lord of your life, everything changes. It's one thing to miss hell and own him as your savior. But no, he needs to own you as his servant. He needs to be Lord of your life. Father God, let these words sink down into the ears of these disciples. Let, them, let, the, let their hard hearts be softened. Let the word of God abide in them. And I thank you, Father God, that your, your purpose will be achieved in their lives. You're not an accident. You're not a failure. And neither are they. I thank you, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus. And everybody that agreed with me said, Amen. Amen. Where's Brother Andrew? The other one. I'm supposed to turn this back over to him. Uh, Caitlin? Somebody help. Well, why don't we um, stand, stand up. Did anybody uh, learn anything today? Do you feel refreshed? I feel like I feel like the Holy Spirit is just here with us. <laughs> I think that a lot of times we think that it has to look a certain way <laughs> for the Holy Spirit to fall or move, but he's moving right now. He's moving right now and he wants you to know that he loves you guys. <laughs> the Holy Spirit loves the Word of God. 
<laughs> They're in such union together that we cannot just, we can't even, we can't even imagine it. We don't have, <laughs> we're, we're working on that. <laughs> we can't imagine that type of unity and union and love for one another. And they had that union and they have that union and they want to extend that union, that unity to us. That's why God created us. <laughs> and so as we go, I just want to remember this as we go, that God, Jesus sees you. <laughs> He's for you. He loves you and he wants to be with you. He wants to be in union with you. He wants to hear from you every day. I know it's weird. People are like, but God knows all about me. Why do I need to talk to him? Because he loves you. You know, when you have that special someone or that bestie and you just want to tell them what just went down, <laughs> Jesus wants to be that bestie. <laughs> He wants to hear from you and he wants to talk to you. He doesn't want to, he didn't want to just hear you talk, although he does love when you talk. He wants to talk to you and he wants you to be open. So just as this week goes by, just remember remember what you learned, go back over it and just be in unity, in union and in intimacy with him. Just talk to him, let him let him move. You have something? You got something? All right. You ready to pray? If you guys need any prayer, we have prayer partners, including this guy over here. <laughs> and they are happy to pray with you guys. If you have, who are the prayer partners today? Anybody? <laughs> Y'all come up and we're going to just, we're going to release. But if you guys need prayer, don't hesitate to come up. Andrew, just keep playing for just a few minutes. Um, but I'm going to release you guys. I know that, you know, we have stuff to do, but this is important too. So if you need prayer, if you want prayer, we have these prayer partners here and they're going to pray with you. Anything, nothing's too hard for God. Nothing's impossible. God cares about the little things and the big things. So with that being said, love God, love people, lead well. I love you guys and come down for prayer. Okay. <laughs>